We may think that our marital problems would go away if we checked out and looked for someone else. But Pastor Ed Taylor says that's not a solution. Husbands, the solution to the problem in your marriage is not another woman. The solution to the problem in your marriage tonight is not another woman. The Bible says you don't need another woman. You just need to learn how to love and to live with the one that he gave you. And you agreed with him. You agreed. You need to learn how to love and live with the woman that God gave you. You need to learn to love her, to cherish her, to, as it says here, dwell with her, to understand her needs, and then to meet those needs. Your lifelong joy is the wife that God gave you. This is amazing grace. So guys, how's your marriage going these days? Whether your marriage is on the rocks or things are going fairly well, I think it's safe to say there's always room for improvement. Today on Abounding Grace, we get into the husband's role in marriage as God sees it. As you may recall, last time we looked at the wife's role. Today, we notice that a husband should cherish his wife and honor and love her. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to take it from there in 1 Peter 3, 7. Open your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're only going to look at one verse tonight, verse 7, in a Bible study that I've entitled an exhortation for husbands. An exhortation for husbands. In our last study together, we had an encouragement for wives. And tonight we have an exhortation for husbands. Notice verse 7. Likewise, and this is under the banner of mutual submission. Likewise, you husbands dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. In 1 Peter, he's uh, in the letter known as 1 Peter, Pastor Peter is writing to a group of believers under intense pain, problems, persecutions. They are losing everything for their faith in Jesus. They're being blamed for the fires in Rome. They are being murdered. Uh, their families are being destroyed. And Pastor Peter has a burden to give them instruction on how to live in such difficult times. By the time we come to chapter 3, really the end of chapter 2, this topic of submission comes up because when, it, when difficult times come, one of the first things to go is submission. This idea of, I, I don't want to submit the things, I, I'm tired, and I'm certain that many of you at this stage in life can say that I'm tired of submitting to things I don't like, and I don't think are fair, and I don't think are real. I'm tired of it. I don't want to submit. I'm tired. I want to take things into my own hands. That happens in relationship to your employer. You just don't want to, you don't like your boss. You don't like your job. And you're, I just don't want to submit anymore. And you almost, you, you almost get to the place where you self-destruct because of your attitude of a lack of submission. You don't, you don't want to do it when it comes to the government and the various things that the government chooses to do. You say, I don't want to do it anymore. And you just, you kind of, you shake your fist and you go, I'm not going to do it. And then you pay the price for that when you choose not to submit because it's so hard. It's so difficult. Not only that, but your marriage starts to suffer. 
when tough times come. And in our time last time, we focused on the responsibility of wives to submit. But we also learned that it wasn't an isolated command. This is under the heart, heartbeat of submission in general. That the way that culture works is by mutual submission. And the way that we reflect the love of Jesus Christ, part of it comes through our submission. And Peter just wants to encourage marriages. And if you, have a, if you have a marriage, you know, if you want to scale one to ten, if you have a marriage above five, then these passages are encouraging to you. You're like, of course. I love my wife. I, I love my husband. I, I, we may have our various marriage issues, of course, but man, I, I, submission, no, no problem. I want a good marriage. And so let's do it. I'm enjoying my marriage. You know, as a husband, it's like, I love my wife. We, we, you know, we have our things, but hey, I want to love her and dwell with her and enjoy her, of course. But if your marriage is under, under five, these verses offend you. And that's part of your problem. Part of your problem is you're offended at the Word of God giving you the direction of what will change your home. That's all this is. It's not intended to hurt or to harm you in the sense of destroying you. God's Word, when it offends you, when it challenges you, God's desire isn't to destroy you. God's desire is to destroy your flesh which is the greatest barrier in any relationship. It's our flesh life. It's our selfishness. It is in our unwillingness to bend. Let me show you, before we jump into the text, can you just go to James with me really quick? Because wisdom from above has a atmosphere to it. it, it it's recognizable. When you're walking in the Spirit and you're, you're following uh, the love of God, like it's just recognizable. Would you turn over to James chapter 3? Because the flesh is recognizable too. The resistance, the, 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 the unwillingness, not, not the inability because the Holy Spirit can make us able to do anything, but the unwillingness to yield ourselves to the Lord and then to our spouse or to our friends or whoever that might be. Check this out in verse 13 of James 3. Mark this, memorize it, circle it, write it down on three by, three by five cards. It'll help you in your life, everyday life. James asked, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done. Notice one of the first marks of wisdom is meekness. The meekness of wisdom. Wisdom takes a person down in humility. Not, not as a doormat. We explained that very carefully, ladies, as wives last time. Not as a doormat. We, meekness is not a doormat. Meekness is strength that is yielded for the sake of others. If you have, so here is not, this is not the Spirit of God. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and sometimes even demonic. You can walk in demonic wisdom, or it really isn't wisdom at all. You can walk in the, in the atmosphere of the devil, how he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. So he says, where envy, verse 16, and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. But, but the wisdom that's from above, you say, okay, what's the Spirit look like? We already know the fruit of the Spirit, but here's another aspect. What does the Spirit look like? Pure. Wisdom that comes from above will be pure. It will be peaceable. It will be gentle. And this one's a big one for marriages. Willing to yield. Willing to yield. Full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I mean, this is such a beautiful passage just applied to marriage, let alone to relationships. 
Pastor Peter has your marriage at heart. And if this, is, if this offends you, then repent. This is God's word. And remember, I, I acknowledged to you last week, I'm not an expert at marriage. I have my own issues in my marriage. I have my own issues as a husband. I'm not a professional counselor. I'm a pastor who prayed before I put this message together. And I prayed before I delivered it. Why? Because I love you. And I want your marriages to succeed. If in the rest of my ministry, I never meet with another marriage ready to divorce, I never meet with another marriage that's fighting, if I never, that would be, not because I don't want to, but because everyone is walking in the Spirit, I'd be great with that. Because there's a lot of other things I could be a part of uh, in reaching the lost. But this is what God called us to. We know that's not realistic. But hear my heart on it. God wants you, God wants your marriage restored and saved. And he, want, he wants you to thrive. He wants you to enjoy. God created marriage. He's the one that knew what we needed. Now, again, you that are single, I don't want you to feel like you're less than important here because you're not in the marriage, you're not in a marriage yet, or you were previously. You're in a different season, and God has a different word for you, but this is preparatory, isn't it? It's like you're looking forward, maybe God has marriage in your future. Well, this is it. This is your, these are your marching orders. This is what to expect. Marriage is hard. It's work. It's difficult. Two selfish people that decide, hey, how about we, uh, you're selfish, yep, I'm selfish, yep, but you fake that in the dating thing, you know, you fake that all out. So are you so, yeah, well, let's come together and let's just have a selfish house. And then you get the smart idea, why don't we create some little selfish kids to run around? And so we'll all just be, and it's just a battle. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes dying to ourself. It, it takes the, the requirement of asking for forgiveness and rec recognizing that your spouse will not meet 100% of your needs, ever. If you look to your spouse to meet all of your needs, you'll be disappointed every day. Your husband can't do it. Your wife can't do it. Only God can fulfill the deep-seated need for acceptance and love and care. Because only God can fulfill that. No human being can do that. Because when you look to human beings to do that, you put yourself in a place of vulnerability and a place of vulnerability. Temptation loves to feed on vulnerable people. The more vulnerable you are, the more temptation seems to come in every area of life. This is good counsel for us. It's a good reminder. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 in verse 12, though one may be overwhelmed by another, two can withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And any marriage that's going to thrive and make it needs to acknowledge that Jesus is the center of your marriage and that we yield to him. And so husbands, your word tonight, likewise, you husbands dwell with them, speaking of the wife, with understanding, giving honor to them as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life and your prayers may not be hindered. So here, husbands, the solution to the problem in your marriage is not another woman. I don't see anybody writing that down in your notes. The solution to the problem in your marriage tonight is not another woman. The Bible says you don't need another woman. You just need to learn how to love and to live with the one that he gave you. And you agreed with him. You agreed. You need to learn how to love and live with the woman that God gave you. You need to learn to love her, to cherish her. To, as it says here, dwell with her, to understand her needs, and then to meet those needs. Your lifelong joy is the wife that God gave you. And so the solution is found right in front of you. Notice, number one, it says to dwell with them with understanding. And then it says to give them honor. 
Give your wife honor. Now let me just say here, wives at this point sort of check out on verse 7, at least some, because it says as to the weaker vessel. And that can be so quickly interpreted as misogynistic and, and you know, looking down on, on you because you're a woman. And in some cases, you have every right to feel that way because that's how you've been treated. And that's just where you are. But that's not God's heart. Neither is it, is it the heart of any true man bound in, by the Holy Spirit walking in the Spirit. Your natural reaction, wives, could be, I'm not weaker. And then you miss the whole point of the text. You might interpret I'm not weaker as I'm not less than him. Well, you're not less than him. You're right. You are equal to him as a human being. God died for you as he did, died for your husband. But the reality is, although it's becoming less and less popular today, the reality is, is that men and women are very different. Anyone want to amen that? Amen. He, God made it that way. I'm glad he made it that way. I appreciate the differences between Marie and me in many ways. This word for you, ladies, could be, could be described, again, forgive me for the description. I'm just trying to relate to you. You, you could put it this way. Like if, if we were describing men and women one way, ladies, this would be describing you as a precious, valuable vase. And your husband's like a Home Depot bucket. That's what it's saying here. There's something precious about you. Sweet and wonderful. God made that. Now all the men are mad at me. So what? <laughs> I can deal with that. There's just a distinction. There's, there's, there's something that's more gentle and delicate and something that's more rough. That's the point. That there, God made you that way. And I thank God for the sensitivity of the women in our church. You, you just have a sensitivity to things that we don't. We, you have an, a point of view that we don't. And you are to be valued for those things and to be recognized. There's a, this isn't a statement of, of whether you're less or more. It's a statement of understanding. He's saying, husbands, understand, number one, your wives are different. Your wives are not you. Peter's telling us, cherish your wives. Treasure them. Give them honor. The original language literally speaks to preciousness, something that we think is precious. So he's saying, give her honor as someone precious to you. Don't take your wives for granted, husbands. Don't abuse them verbally, physically, or any way. Don't misuse your wives. She's, she's not the same as you, and so it will require extra effort on your part to express value and love and appreciation. Guys, your wife is a woman. He's, she's not just another guy. And she's not just any woman. She's your wife. She's your wife. A lot of times, wives feel as if their husbands just don't understand them because they get treated like one of the guys. Or they get treated like someone that's not precious. Or in this case, when you see weaker vessel, they, they're not treated with care and concern. So men, you need to recognize there's a difference. And of course, you know, the husbands right away, as you wrestle with this, you go, of course, Ed, I know that. I know that. Obvious. It's obvious. Yeah, but it's not just a gender difference. God made them male and female. 
And no matter how things are rearranged and changed and what's approved, not approved, nobody can ever, ever, ever in their entire life searching for identity change the creative order of God. Never. It will never happen. You can identify as this or you can identify as that. You you can desire this. You can desire that. Recognizing many of you listening, like you're really wrestling with who your identity is. And I'm not sure. And I grew up, nothing that you do medically, nothing you do by surgery, nothing will change who God made you. And God made you the way you are on purpose, male and female. There's not a third category, biblically. It's not just a gender difference, but a real difference, a difference of needs, a difference of wants and desires, a difference of looking at things. Women tend to look at things differently. It means we have to be less and less of the man that will just seek to fix it. And I got a problem with my marriage, I'll fix it, which is always interpreted fix her, which is always interpreted she's always wrong. In your life, men, you need to recognize The only one that you need to fix is you. And God can help you along the way. And you got to get away from that fix-it mentality. You know, maybe there's an opportunity. You're going through something at home. You can, you maybe recognize something on your wife's face, husband's, and you're like, well, just tell me what it is, and I'll fix it. Tell me what it is, and I'll give you the solution. You know, she doesn't even want a solution. She just wants you to be quiet and listen to her. Not at the first or the 10th word already come up with a solution to fix all. Just listen. Try, try that. The next time this comes up in your marriage, in your relationship, just listen. Just listen. We make this mistake too many times, husbands. Many wives are looking more and more, I think, biblically for the type of man that stops and listens and prays before reacting and jumping in with some solution. Someone actually studied these things. It may be updated over the years. But someone studied and wrote down the top five needs displayed by husband and wife through their different biblical counseling. And they did an informal survey and they came up with these um, five major needs of women, five major needs of men. Uh, For the women, the women said to this survey that in order of their needs, what they expressed, what they wanted and needed from their husband. Number one was affection. Number two was conversation. Number three was honesty and openness. Number four was financial support. And number five was family commitment. The five major needs of men uh, was number one, sexual fulfillment. Number two, recreational companionship. Uh, Number three, an attractive spouse. Number four, help at home. And number five was admiration. And so, of course, these things vary from marriage to marriage. But just listening to the list, you can see how different it is. And what, their, what needs are different between us. And that's why I believe, as you see in verse 7, the Bible says, likewise, you husbands, dwell with them. The idea is that you stay put. Uh, the idea behind this word dwell in the original language is that you stay put. And listen, you take the effort to study and learn about your wife. Discover her. And discover the new things about her as she changes throughout the years. God brings together two completely different people, but he makes them one. Yet when our homes are filled with distraction, with turmoil, with discord, it really makes for the breeding ground of destruction. Well, you don't want to, you don't care anymore. You don't want to dwell there. You don't want to pay attention. You don't want, you don't want those things because the devil knows the Bible. You realize the devil understands the Bible. 
The Bible says that the demons believe and tremble. They have this ascent where whatever the word says, they have an ascent, they believe, and it moves them. Because I think what they tremble at is their future. And you know what the Bible says about the demonic realm being thrown in the lake of fire for eternity? They, they, they tremble because they know what the end is. But, but many times, husbands read the Bible and it moves, doesn't move them at all, if they read the Bible at all. And so the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 3, verse 25, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's just the way it is. It's just not going to stand. And so it makes sense we see what we see today, especially in the height of the last year. We've seen it increase more and more. I believe the enemy of our souls wants to distract the husband and so isolate the wife that a little division begins. You add to that a little bit of financial pressure. You add to that some issues with the kids. You add to that things going on at work. You don't like what's going on. You add to that this atmosphere, I'm just going to quit, I'm going to run away. You add to that the difficulties of a pipe bursting, a, you know, a tire going out on the car. You add to all the things that come in, and before you know it, with that little bit of distraction, that little bit of division, comes some turmoil that you, don't, you didn't expect, some difficulty, you didn't plan for it. Comes a dumb, insignificant fight into that. I mean, it's just dumb, just dumb. Doesn't make any sense. Why, why are we even arguing about this kind of fight? Any marriages have those kind of fights? Why are we even arguing about this? I mean, that's typical. You know, in every marriage we have, it's like just little things. What do we, what, what do we, what is our problem? And you kiss and make up and move on. But in the midst of crisis, you can't tell the difference. <laughs> and so some little dumb insignificant thing feels like, man, she hates my guts. She doesn't want anything. And, or you, you begin to be caught up in all that. Then you add some bickering, some discouragement, loneliness. Mix in there your own sin, gossip, sin, lies, social media, pornography. And before you know it, that little family that you launched off with is in such danger of ultimate destruction. Ultimate destruction. And we've just veered away from the simplicity of what God says. We just veered away. You know, one of the big resistance that we find between husbands and wives is simply this thought. If he will, then I will. If she will, then I will. And it gets to that place where you just are immovable. And your love for each other has changed from unconditional to conditional. And everyone has their reasons, perhaps some good reasons, but everybody has their reasons for not obeying God. So just write, write that, jot that down in your notes. If whoever's taking notes, you're going to listen to this later, you're listening on the radio, get the study because everybody has their reasons for disobeying God. Good reasons, bad reasons, doesn't matter. Disobeying God is always going to lead to destruction in our lives. It's just the way it is. Today on Abounding Grace, we've looked at the husband's role in marriage. Part of that includes cherishing her, honoring, and loving her. We'll share the rest of the study from Ed Taylor next time. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. 
Look for us on Apple Podcasts, too. Is there an afterlife? What is heaven like? How will we spend our time there? And what does it mean to see God face to face? Questions like these enter our minds as we contemplate what's next after we die. In The Case for Heaven, Lee Strobel investigates the evidence for life after death. You'll read fascinating conversations with respected scholars and experts, including a neuroscientist from Cambridge University who has analyzed a thousand accounts of near-death experiences. You'll receive compelling reasons for why death isn't the end of our existence, but a transition to an exciting world to come. Request a copy of The Case for Heaven today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And as the costs of being on the radio are growing, we're looking to the Lord to provide for us. If he's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that'll do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in First Peter here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.